0: Oh you'll totally you, well but don't it's but don't do it by luck okay 1 is your mother
1: worried would you like us to assign someone Welcome to
0: Fascism Podcast. We talk about art and fashion and culture and we just have a good time. Yeah, and I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. And we're friends in real life is like what Hope said like to clarify last time. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it maybe matters, but maybe it doesn't matter to you. Friends in real life, we like to gab about topics that we find interesting we just yeah need to figure out our intro and then we do research and deconstruct it in a way that makes no
2: sense and then we talk about it
0: (laughs) i feel like you're underselling us yeah if you like this podcast you should give it five stars come follow us on tiktok that we have a lot of fun over there follow us on instagram if you want i guess
2: You've given up on Instagram. You're like, fuck Instagram. I think everybody has. I
0: just feel like who goes on the Instagram of their podcaster? But we do like to post photos of us having fun sometimes, which I think is the best part of our Instagram, or we post other TikToks that we've watched. (laughs) So Jackie, what's trending for you?
2: Yeah, so what's trending for me is the feeling of bloatiness. Like I feel bloated all the time. It's made me realize that I should probably take out my IUD because my hair is thinning my belly feels like it's holding water I don't have a period it has to be my IUD and I'm like you know what I am scared to get off birth control because I am famously a huge slut Eh. so (laughs) (laughs) I hope none of the kids that I work for (laughs) listen to this this is a bad influence but anyways it's just like It's for some reason, like the last time I got, took my IUD out. I did get pregnant pretty much in like the month I didn't have it.
0: Oh God. I know.
2: So I'm just like, I shouldn't take it out. But like, and I would be so bad at taking the pill because I would forget like, guarantee.
0: I don't know how anyone manages that. Like, I feel like literally every person on the pill must be type A. It
2: has to be. has to be. I mean, like, I forget to sign out, like, clock out at my job. How am I supposed to, like, take a pill? And I have an alarm for that. I have an alarm for my clocking out. Not for the pill, because I don't have that.
0: I couldn't do the shot because that looks too fucking scary. And so you, like, these symptoms
2: are recent? No, they've been going on for a while and I was just like, it started pretty much when I had my IUD, IUD back in. And I was just like, you know, I just don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm pro the IUD, but I think it's ran its course with me. And now it's like I was reading stuff. It's my mom has thyroid issues. Both my grandmas had thyroid issues. Like it's exasperating that in some capacity with hormones because it is a hormone IUD. I was like, maybe I could get a copper one. They sound painful. So
0: Well, people are scared of them. I love mine. Your copper one. Yeah, I do get kind of bad periods. But honestly, it's like, I don't mind being like down for the count every once in a while. It's like, okay, Peace out everyone. I'm gonna go lay in bed and watch TV.
2: Yeah, I like the idea of bleeding out and feeling in pain a little bit too. I mean, the idea, I haven't done it in so long, so it's like an imagination to me at this point.
0: But Once we have a Patreon, it'll just be we can just like really free flow. Well, okay, what I'll say is when you menstruate, it makes it easier to be like, oh, I'm not gonna like go home with that person. Oh not that you can't lie, but It's like when you are, when you have to, keeps you from not wanting to.
2: I just tell everybody I'm trying to wait. I'm waiting for my husband. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) I don't know why the use of the word husband just gets me. Because
1: it's ridiculous
0: and like sane sounding out of my mouth as if your husband is like a single person who exists and like
2: <laughs> yeah exactly anyways hope what's trending for you
0: funny doing this twice in a week since we're recording two episodes this week because you're like how else is my life right now these these i yeah these things have become reflections for me but what's trending for me is being an animal whisperer slash parent uh like we have two dog two cats and a dog and it really feels like it this past few weeks like luna we were letting the cats out for a little bit we were experimenting since they just moved to this neighborhood the cats and brian we were experimenting with letting the cats out they only want to go out at night And we were trying to keep them in at night, but they would just jump out the window. Lovers of the night. Dude, yeah. And there's a neighborhood bully named Jingles. His actual name is Gizmo, but he has a bell around his collar.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's what your landlady calls him.
0: Yeah. And she always refers to the person who lives in that apartment as Jingles' dad. Like, literally never calls him by name. So Jingles... We think bit Luna because we saw the chase happen and then she got stuck in the fence. It was just so much to witness. Oh, my God. And she had a fever like she was in the closet, you know, and famously animals always go to the closet when they're not feeling that good. I don't know what they did before modern architecture, but it's like closets are where they they go
2: into the cave. That's the same thing. A closet and cave like it's dark. It's I'm guessing moist. What about like lions? do they go they have
0: caves too in like the sahara
2: and i'm only assuming that because i've seen lion king and they have rocks
0: oh yeah oh man curling up under like a hot rock sounds so nice right now oh why because you're cold it's i just like the sun yeah 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 yeah. lulu's in physical therapy right now since she got surgery in december and she's not walking that great so for whatever reason my dumb ass decided to sign up physical therapy in federal way which is like 30 minutes south without traffic so she's there for several hours so you basically either have to like drive home in between or like post up at a starbucks in like a not very desirable area i mean undesirable in, in terms of like it's all strip malls but uh poor brian like had to stay there even longer last week because They had some emergencies come up at the facility, so she she had to stay till like 3, and he dropped her off at (gasps) 9. So he had been hanging out at like the neighborhood Starbucks where he saw like a ton, everyone really old and was honestly doing what sounded like some pretty fun eavesdropping, but then he thought he was going to be done soon, so he went to McDonald's, and I was like, bad news. They just called and said they're going to have her for two more hours, so he was like, meditating in the lawn next to mcdonald's in federal way <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'm really lucky during these moments that he practices mindfulness uh, because
2: <laughs> oh my god i was say it's because he's reading that book mindfulness
0: yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah so i'm taking her tomorrow and i'm gonna take a different approach which is that i scoped out an estate sale so i'm gonna like drop her off hit the estate sale and then yeah probably end up at a starbucks but
2: Dude, what estate sale is it? The one that you sent me with all the vintage? No, that's not an estate sale. That's just a free grab for all.
0: This one has a lot of art and some clothing. Uh,
2: wait. So is do you think um, Lulu's walking has gotten better? She always kind of walk. She was walking, y'all, the audience. She was walking like she had attitude. That was what she looked, she was just like a little, her hip was going a little bit farther to the left than it should have.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I've noticed a difference. She's been real stubborn. Like I'm supposed to do exercises with her at home. Like we walk in figure eights. And after like two figure eights, she straight up just plants her feet down and won't do it.
2: I mean, girl, same. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's like, I don't care about walking well. I'm re- I'm a retired racer. I just want to lay down.
2: She's like, I don't understand why you're forcing me to do physical therapy. I literally just want to sit.
0: Yeah. So that's what's trending for me. But what's trending for us as a podcast is talking about Vivian Westwood, which we started doing last week episode where we recounted Vivian Westwood's early life. She is a British designer known for corseting and Harris Tweed and being a part of the punk movement, and we spent that episode going through like her early life and her famous relationship with Malcolm McLaren, which led to the formation of the Sex Pistols and kind of the whole punk aesthetic movement can be traced back to them. Also talked about his involvement with the Situationists, so I recommend listening to that one first. For this one, today we're going to talk about her more proper fashion career and role as an activist, and then we're going to be joined by Emily Stokel of Pre-Loved Podcast, who is going to chat with us about, you know, fashion and activism and her work in that space.
2: Yeah. So to leave off where we started, I just wanted to make it clear. It's something that was written in the book. Um, The hardcore of the cult lasted a mere 30 months. This is talking about punk. From the summer of 1975 to January 1978 and was centered in London on at most
0: 200 teenagers. Wait, that's saying that that's that's how long the punk movement lasted? Yeah.
2: Three years. 30 months, which is mathematically three years. So, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. From 75 to 78. It's, I mean, it's, it certainly had lasting impacts. Like, yes. But but I guess that was like the length of the political movement?
2: I guess so. That's all it said. Um, I guess it's probably the end of like bands and I don't know. It just said it was led by a handful of agents, provocateurs in their late 20s, and was spawned in a small, highly stylized shop in West London. Nonetheless, its reverberations continued toward beyond Britain's shores. There you go.
0: It also makes me think of, I think um, for Americana Met Gala, Olivia Rodrigo dressed as punk. and Did Bibby in Westwood. Which is like, yeah, just so not American.
2: (laughs) I know, like the theme, again, is so stupid. Okay, so uh, Sex Pistols ends, everybody breaks up.
0: Also, we, we said that Sid, Vicious, and Nancy, whatever, killed each other, but from what I read, he was accused of murdering her, though there's suspicion that it was someone else, and then died of a heroin overdose, like, after being released from jail.
2: Yep. Yep, I read that too, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> I'm glad that you do made a correction about it. Yep. And it's, like, well-known knowledge, and I was like, I'm just going to go through memory because it's in there. <laughs> okay, so she starts to, like, wanting to get away from the sex pistols and the punk scene, and they ha- go through another name change for the boutique, and it's called Sedentary? Seditionary. Seditionary. And dictionary so doesn't stay long um but it, and it then it finally moves to be
0: called too fast
2: to live too young to die no 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 no. world's end, world's end. so that would be its fifth name change and that's the last time that it's changed that way they even hired like a um designer to do the front of the you know shop which they did and it was fabulous and McLaurin said he wanted to challenge time so they made two clocks which ran backwards and had 13 hour faces and a large one outside and a smaller version inside and they were the most expensive fittings made by special effects craftsmen which I think is hella cool um Vivian wants to become so attached to design that she has refused ever since to change it so if you go and that store
0: still exists today yep, right yep it sure does so at some point so Vivian tells McLaren, like, hey, we need to choose music or fashion. Like, we really can't do both. And he said, always fashion. So they decide to do a runway collection. He says it should be under Vivian's name, but they, they collaborate on it, and it's called Pirates.
2: Yeah, but he puts his name in – well, he puts his name on it,
0: too. His name is also on Yeah, so I guess it's not that it's just her. It's just that her name was never on stuff. Before. yeah.
2: Her, dog, her name gets on there for the first time. For the first time, yeah. Um, God, reading this stuff about Vivian and Malcolm, I already didn't like Malcolm. And I already, I have a problem with Vivian, too. But, like, it made me more angry. She is such a pick-me.
0: And he is such an asshole. Anyways. For sure. Um, so, this collection is inspired by portrait paintings of the 17th and 18th centuries, It features loose fitting silhouettes, bright colors, bold patterns, and most of her work thus far had been essentially costume design, like stuff for people to perform in, you know, think of her designing stuff for the Sex Pistols. And fashion critics like really took note of how different this collection was from other stuff on the runway yeah um
2: she i mean the reason being like it was the era of rock and roll like we said the punk scene everything's kind of tight-fitting and leather and she really broke out of that like creating these low-slung seat of pirate trousers and the low-slung seat of the pirate trousers was the antithesis of the modern trouser which cleaved to the buttock but these really just hung low and one of her like <laughs> Buyers that like consistent buyer told her that his ass was gonna be hanging. My ass will be hanging out down around my knees. That was my impression. Uh,
0: Did she invent sagging pants? No, because
2: pirates did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Um, And yeah, and like you said, this is a real turn away from punk. And her this aesthetic, her aesthetic quickly becomes known as new romantic. The style becomes popular through various musical acts and she it's i think it's cool how she kind of like she leans away from the quote-unquote edgy aesthetic but she finds a way to do something romantic in such a different and interesting way
2: yeah i mean i think it's cool that she combines cuz it's not like completely it, it does look costume now to me like and you can tell like she was designing for people that were performing cuz that's what she had been doing and this was interesting because it was pirates, but it was pirates like with the course of a spin on it. So they had these really bold ass patterns that stood out, but it kept it it kept, it kept it modern, but it kept it like romantic.
0: Yeah, there was also themes of British royalty, maybe the French Revolution, and it was supposed to be like her. A lot of her work is inspired by royalty, but at the same time. "Quote unquote critical of it." But I don't know.
2: She just like is uh, the reason is they say it's critical is because she's like, "I hate royalty," but I'll accept everything that the queen offers me. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's not real. But
0: yeah, right. It's like not a the critique isn't present for me. Or like I don't know.
2: Well, I don't see it. I can tell you some of the things that the critics said in a in a moment, but I do want to quote some of Vivian's things that she says about the the pirates. She's like, my clothes make you stand in a different way. For start, you don't adopt the same postures. You can't be anonymous. You have to sort of strut about as if you own the street. I do believe that appearances are
0: everything. Yeah, she definitely does believe that. We see that come up a lot of times. Well, there's just a lot of things. This was like, not her first collection necessarily
2: of clothes, but this is the first time that she does a runway. And that's like the big deal. And Vivian McLaurin enter this world of fashion and they they start they have to join this like basically this rigorous and unrelenting schedule of the autumn winter collection show in March and then the spring summer one in October
0: what I don't understand is how they just like decide to do a runway show and then it just is yeah like I'm like I guess
2: Malcolm's Malcolm's constantly selling something so I'm guessing they he's finding the money I mean they're not like rich by any means but I'm very confused on how they afforded to like, because it's just like that's fashion is like notoriously not accessible,
0: right? And it's like, even if you come up with a collection, how do you convince someone to let you send your models down the runway? I, I, did you just like apply online? I mean, I don't know, obviously not online because this was 1981. Well, they do
2: hire some people, they hire like a par a uh, PR person
0: because that's <laughs> first, like first you were gonna say a parrot. I was <laughs> like, oh, because it's pirates, I get it.
2: <laughs> no, but like, fucking Vivian, of course, hated the PR person because vivian cannot be controlled you know so and they also hired like a pattern cutter so they were like hiring a team of people too which makes me suspicious because i'm like how do you again you have to have these money so i'm guessing they just had money from over the years at the boutique, and then like bought out a venue kind of like you know weddings <laughs> um and yeah and then had their runway
0: i think this collection is cool it's like it does look costumy all put together but
2: I mean, I don't hate costumey though.
0: Yeah, I shouldn't say that like it's an obvious like bad thing, but I just like love the prints, I love the pants, I love the hats. Like these hats by the like along with all the other stuff do look very piratey, but some of them really you could just wear them on the beach or like some of these tailored blazers like I mean I'm into it. She
2: one thing about her is that she is a very good tailor craft. Things are tailored well. But, like, the day that it was set up, it was kind of, like, no one, they've never done this before. So, of course, there was utter chaos right up to the very moment that Bow Wow Wow was playing. I've never heard of Bow Wow Wow. Have you heard of Bow Wow Wow? Mm, no. Well, I don't think so. That was who was playing. And it was complete mayhem, um, as one of the people that was helping out, remembered. And half of them were totally out of their brains with the alcohol or narcotics, which I thought, that sounds like. The models? Uh, just the people helping out and the models. Like, I think everybody. Except for Vivian, maybe.
0: I feel like fashion must have been so much more fun. And I don't mean because the only way to have fun is drugs and alcohol. Everything just seems like very buttoned up these days.
2: (laughs) I think drugs and alcohol help significantly. They certainly help me. Yeah, they help me too. The powerful American trade magazine, Women's Wear Daily, proclaims Westwood is the hottest designer of this new look. Here's some other ones. Liz Calibris, for example, a fashion stylist of British Vogue, Balked at the idea. It's that punk place where the windows get smashed. But when she came, overcame her reluctance. She was astonished by the clothes and recommended them to Grace Coddington, the senior fashion editor at the magazine. Anna, uh, Grace Coddington was the senior fashion editor at the time. Uh, Anna Piaggi. Do you remember her? Anna Piaggi. Yeah, Piaggi. Uh, She's like besties with what's his face. Chanel.
0: Oh, Lagerfeld. Right? Probably. I can't remember. Listen, we we do
2: research and then we forget about it instantly. That is.
0: Well, there were a lot of names. There was a <laughs> lot of names. All I remember is that she's Italian and, or like worked for Italian Vogue. Yes. She was the editor
2: of Condé Nast Vanity Magazine in, in Milan at the time. And one of the most forward-thinking journalists in the business and commissioned and illustrated to capture the panatomic vibrancy of pirates.
0: That is a really cool thing that at the time illustrators were at the shows drawing yeah. the, the looks. Yeah. I mean, these looks would be hard to draw.
2: Yeah, these looks would be hard to draw. The
0: boots, like, people really go crazy for these boots. They're like almost like riding boots, but with a ton of straps going up and down them.
2: <laughs> it it sounded like Hope just got knocked over for a second.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was just... We're, I've got a set of headphones on and a mic on me. so No, the like, boots just like took your, the breath out of you, okay? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, her pricing, though, was really expensive, which a lot of people critiqued, you know? Because she was, like, basically pricing her fashion beyond the pockets of the people that she claimed to champion. And her her comeback to that was, I can't put myself in the role of the social services, she argued. Wow. Oh, whoa. I know. If the kids really want them, they'll find the money. And so they did, or they simply just stole it. I mean... We say, I feel like we hear about people stealing clothes every time we read a mem- memoir.
0: How do you steal runway clothes? Because
2: they're still at the boutique. And, and they're also being sold weirdly at, like, cer- certain clubs. I don't know what it was like back then. It just sounds like it wasn't, like, as hard to access clothes that was, yeah, for stealing or just, like, it. she wasn't, like, Prada yet.
0: You know what I mean? One thing I will say in her defense is, like, she has she does champion the idea that like you should just buy stuff that you'll love and wear and have less.
2: Which but she has so much clothes. I don't that argument I'm like, okay, person that probably has a whole room for her all her outfits that she loves.
0: Right. You think so? Hell yeah. I mean, yeah, how could she
2: not? Hell yeah. I mean, she did stay in the same house for a really long time, not like in Gale Lane for like fifty years or something like that. And just recently moved out, I think. So I don't know how much space she actually had. So when I say that, I'm like, huh. But she has clothes. She has a closet somewhere, and it's big. I know it. Um, This is also the time that her and Malcolm start to break up. Thank God. Thank God. And it's obvious because she's, she's making headway, and you know he can't fucking handle it.
0: Yeah, he gets really jealous, and he says that she's nothing more than a seamstress.
2: Yeah, and... He leaves Nightingale Lane, like I just said, like the house that they lived in for like 20 something years at this point. um, And to li- move in with his new girl for- girlfriend, a fledgingly German designer called Audrey Linz. And he said, I took another apartment and took other girls. I knew it would be- it'd become the end because Vivian would not tolerate that under any circumstances. McLaurin and Vivian would never live together again.
0: I wonder if like their friends at the time were just like, you know when you have a friend who really needs to break up with their partner, and you're like, everyone knows it.
2: I don't think Vivian Westwood has friends. I think she has boyfriends. That's it.
0: I know you think this. You think well. I, you think that she's. Why do you think that? Because they never mention any friends in this book, and yeah,
2: she's spending all her time making clothes and spend with the boys. Like,
0: yeah, it seems like she. Has like industry friends, which is like yeah, obviously not real friends. I think
2: her and Pamela Anderson are fake friends, which I like for some reason. But I mean, like I think she's chilled out now. She probably can have friends <laughs> at her age. Yeah, she's. But I don't know. Um, here's some things about Malcolm that makes you that makes you want to hate him. He had been bad mouthing her to other people for some time. He'd come in and tell us about his sex life with Vivian, which was nil. And he'd say, what a fucking horrible bird she was. And how he hated her, being in bed with her. And we found it very offensive. That's my English accent once more, you guys. You're welcome. It's really giving
0: me, like, Southern Baptist. (laughs)
2: Uh, It's a drama. Yeah,
0: famously, for, like, a lot of their relationship, in the beginning, like, he would not satiate her very often, quote-unquote, according to the unfashionable life. Like, he – he, I don't know. It was weird. But, yeah. And, like, people describe their relationship as being, like, not very affectionate. None of this is surprising.
2: Yeah. She has a really hard time with it, obviously. Um, the breakup? Yeah. They still work together for the next five years. Yeah. But, like, they're broken up and – yeah, she has a hard time with it. She doesn't know what to do with herself. Like, despite this rejection, it's acquaintances. It seemed that Vivian did not lose her physical self assurance because she's like an Aries and she's, you know, bold. Sexually, she had some such a high opinion of herself, her look, and her body. And she did not think anyone else was her equal, says uh, Robin Beach. I have no idea who Robin Beach is, but it is a name that is in this book. And her public image as a strong, confident woman was actually. Very small, very paper thin. She had suffered years of careless and abuse from McLaurin, as we know, and regarded every other woman as a sexual threat. That's another reason I don't think she has friends. She considered herself much more intellectual than most women that she met, according to Robin Beach, and was incapable of feeling respect for them. On the other hand, she was often to be influenced by mediocre men.
0: Tell that! Tell her! Is this Jane? Is this Jane? Jane! Jane Muleva, everybody, the most critical biographer ever, but like really has a point. Like
2: telling them. On the other hand, she's often to be influenced by mediocre men. Like all y'all, take advice. Don't be influenced by mediocre men. Anyways, particularly if the voice their opinions forcefully.
0: Yeah. She yeah. She just she ate that shit up. you all wanna hear a
2: real sad story about how like she ignored her kids through this process too?
0: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give it to me. (laughs) Okay. On one occasion,
2: Vivian's eldest son, Ben, then aged 20, arrived in her studio carrying a bunch of daffodils, rocking nervously from foot to foot. Ben is her first kid, not Malcolm's kid. Rocking nervously from foot to foot, he tried to catch his mother's attention but was ignored. Eventually, he interrupted her and, what do you want? I'm busy. She snapped. These are for you, mom. It's Mother's Day. I hate daffodils she responded dismissing him
0: and Jane is just here for this or like who tells Jane is telling the story that someone saw at the shop I don't know her sons love her
2: yeah because she like
0: emotionally
2: abused them to the point where they're like please mom love me like it is very interesting how much they do love her
0: I feel like my mom would read something like this and be like her kids still love her you know and I'm so good to you
2: that's interesting yeah
0: yeah so they so they you know yeah they break up they'd been together for two decades they'd collaborated on multiple collections together at this point including a collection called witches do you have anything to say about that one yes i do let me hear it the
2: witches' clothes designed to slide seductively off the body ow, ow! we were really inspired by like voodoo practices in the tropics and her curiosity about incest Mm. (laughs) to the sounds of duck rock mclaurin's album of african music oh mclaurin he made whoa he he did some research he went to africa did that white boy thing he's like i want some tribal music and i'm gonna be inspired and then the album was called duck rock okay. And she was, like, inspired by that. To the Sounds. They opened a... Witches opened with an exquisite series of fuchsia, Aegean blue, and cinnamon wool capes with huge peaked hoods and shin-length pleated and wrapped skirts hung from bandaged waist and worn with wedge hilled triple tong trainers. Yeah, and the collection had, like, it had kind of, like, an active sportswear vibe to it, and it was also inspired by, like, New York gangs with the... Uh, like acrylic jersey for us acrylic jersey aspect of it that was on like kind of glued onto the body and the tube skirt was made
0: really fashionable by uh, madonna she also used keith herring right that like kind of graphic artist graffiti
2: inspired yeah and at the very end at the end of the show when uh the witches was done with the runway like all the models came out um, and you know how, like, the designers are supposed to come out at the very, very ends and, like, get their moment to shine? Vivian is the one that pretty much fully designed this whole thing, right? But who walks out first? Malcolm and Lauren. And he steps out into the lights to receive the applause. And then you can just tell everything, apparently, according to Jane, our girl Jane, you can just tell everything by their body language. He's, like, conservatively dressed. In a shirt and tie with corduroy trousers. And he approaches Vivian, who I'm sure is not dressed like that, and just gives her a kiss on the cheek. And Vivian, wearing clothes from the collection, seems delighted by even that cool show of affection. I'm just so mad at her!
0: I know. You're so
2: desperate! It's pathetic, Vivian! It's pathetic!
0: Yeah, there's, like, some early photos of them together where, like, the way she looks at him... It's just, I mean, honestly, he's looking at her with affection, too. But, yeah, it's, she just, she just had it so bad for him. Yeah,
2: so, since, like, this was kind of McLaurin's last, like, actual exit of the, I don't know, what do you call it? Runway, like, he's not doing that anymore after this. So, she has time to do, hook up with other guys. Because, like, she can't be single for one goddamn minute. So, she hooks up with this guy named Kali DR Morrow. Um, who is like an Italian dude.
0: <laughs> I mean, okay. Do we actually know the length of time she went between it, between guys? Yes. How long is it?
2: Little to no, like she was on and off with Malcolm. Like they never lived together again. She was on and off with Malcolm for the next five years. Like, and she was like in between this. So they were just like on a slightly off period. So it was like a matter of like a month.
0: Mm. Are you someone, do you, are you the, are you the, like one of the people who thinks like personal growth can only happen when someone is single? No,
2: but because I do think you can, like one of my best friends, like had a long-term relationship and is now in another relationship. And I don't think that in any way, like in less than a month, I don't think that anyway is going to like stunt his growth because I think he is willing to emotionally mature. But I feel like this With such an abusive relationship, you have to have time to heal from something like that. Otherwise, you're going to keep repeating
0: patterns, which she does. I can also see an argument for like sometimes getting out of a relationship like this. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's good to just get an, get another uh, – get under someone, yeah, you know? Totally. Best way to get over someone is to get under but someone. the
2: thing about Vivian, she can't just get under somebody. She can't, like, hit it and quit it. She has to, like, hire them. She
0: has to, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> – So, like, they – She's, like – Yeah, it's, like, she's in bed with a cigarette being, like, well, I guess we have to do a joint venture now. Yeah, like...
2: exactly. This guy and her, like, did a joint venture. He, like, sold her clothes in Italy and, like, was, like – constantly flattering her and knew exactly what her vulnerability was according to jane so like she was just like oh my god and he was like she he would talk down malcolm and be like this anti-capitalist shit we need to take advantage of it and she was like yeah that's right
0: baby like oh my god <laughs> so
2: insulting so embarrassing but anyways that doesn't last forever
0: then i'm my next the next thing in my notes is harris tweet years One day, Vivian's on the train and she sees a, you know, young woman, girl on the train who looks calm, cool, and collected. And she's wearing Harris Tweed with, like, ballet slippers, right? She's, like, on the way back from ballet or something and she's got Harris Tweed on it. So Vivian does a whole collection on Harris Tweed.
2: And for those that don't know about Harris Tweed, it's pretty freaking cool. And it's pretty freaking cool. It's uh, to make sure that it wasn't going to be. It's like, okay, back up. Harris Tweed is only a fabric in the world protected by its own legislation. And due to exceptional quality, it has to be embraced by the world of high fashion because of Vivian Westwood. But Harris Tweed is defined as hand woven by the islanders at the home their homes in the outer Hebrides, finished in the outer hebrides i'm saying that wrong probably and made from pure virgin wool dyed and spun in, in the outer hebrides so the wools made there it's finished there and it's handwoven there right it has to
0: be it has to be from scotland it's basically like champagne
2: yeah and it's legit and i love that i really do because i think it's probably important to the culture and i would like to do more research on Harris tweed itself because i'm interested on like how its beginnings cuz it's very of place you know, it's an, it's a fabric of place. Like, there's a reason that they have tweed; that they use tweed.
0: Yeah, and it's it's becomes popular in the '90s also because it's it's super strong. It's like a very strong fabric.
2: But it becomes be- popular because our girl Vivian Westwood in the '80s wanted to bring it back, and that's what she did. She used it in her runway because she saw this girl who seemed so carefree and elegant. The elegance because of the tweed, the Harris tweed, and she was excited to like just like provide a sense of elegance to the to the runway. Um, and she, her way of saying thank you to the Harris tweedos was using their symbol.
0: Well, they let her right. They they like allowed her to adapt the Harris tweed symbol, and she used it as her logo.
2: Yeah. So if you ever like look up like what something that's really popular right this second as Vivian Westwood, like pearl necklaces with that symbol. And basically it is the Harris tweed symbol, which is this famously known as like, it's a a trademark symbol because to solidify the authenticity of Harris tweed, um, you can just see the symbol and it's known as the orb. Um, She uses basically essentially the orb and then puts a ring around it for a ring of Saturn, Saturn representing innovation, which I'm like, is that what Saturn represents? I thought the Saturn represented the devil, but
0: (laughs) um it is a pretty pretty funky logo i i don't hate it do you like it i don't hate it yeah it there we go yeah a (laughs) a strong don't hate
2: strong don't hate and i would want one of the if anybody wants to like get me one of
0: the necklaces i would wear it just throwing it out there but yeah we're a two for one deal so (laughs) you're gonna you have to buy two yeah yeah
2: So, the 80s were pretty cray-cray for her, right? She becomes famous. Yeah, she just takes off. Malcolm's finally fucking gone. And at the end of the 80s, she starts to do corsets. And I did a little research on this because I was fascinated. Because how I know Vivian Westwood is her corsetting.
0: Yeah, that was, like, same. Yeah, and
2: she just has been making it cool but like in the 80s it was becoming really cool like Jean-Paul Gaultier was like using underwear as outerwear aka like the cone boobies that Madonna wore all the time that was inspired by like the 1950s
0: bras talking about Jean-Paul Gaultier
2: or was it John Galliano uh Jean-Paul Gaultier because it's the three it's the three name one
0: gotcha okay yeah who did it first
2: I think it was all in the 80s. There's someone else, too, I think, doing stuff like that. I think it was just kind of all, you know, collective mind. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. when – like, there's just always – people just can't – what is that called? High collective mind. Consciousness, high mind. Like, we just – when something's happening, people just kind of all do it at once.
0: Um, totally. Well, and I thought that also with, like, you know, when we were reading about – when we read Andre Tally's memoir, and they talked about John Galliano as really piloting runway collections that had these stories and like kind of theatrics behind them i feel like Uh she was she already had done that a hundred percent a hundred percent i don't
2: i just feel like i don't know people don't see a lot of things and when they see something they have never seen before they're like this is the first time this has ever happened and most people haven't seen a vivian westwood runway
0: true but yeah she does she does corseting
2: Yeah, so the corset was worn from the 16th to the 12th century and were basically a vital piece of underwear that women needed to use. But what it really did was signal a sense of upper wealth if you wore a corset. The intention was
0: to like slim the waist
2: and to support those
0: heavy, heavy mounds, you know? Right. And like, I guess it makes sense that it would be worn by the wealthy because it keeps you from doing work, I would think.
2: Yeah, I only think it keeps you from doing, like, work, work, but also it's just, like, an extra piece of fashion that you have to access. You have to have someone make it. You and know put it I mean? on you. It's like... Yeah. Oh, it's a whole it's thing. A, it's a whole thing. The 18th century corset that that Vivian is inspired by is called a stay, and it's a stiff-bone garment that would have supported the woman's bust, slimmed the waist, and pushed the shoulders back, really squishing those titties, similar to a sports bra. Oh, um, Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's how, <laughs> how I put it. <laughs> but she also kind of uses like a looser corset setting, so it's not like you don't have to tie it in the back. It's just kind of fits. And I just ordered a corset history book because I want to know more.
0: Cool. Yeah, the one that you bought and then gave me, it's like it doesn't have boning. It's it's really impressive actually. It's just like the construction of it, it's like honestly doesn't use much of anything besides fabric but it has the corset shape you mean the vivian westwood piece? yeah
2: yeah exactly it's like and it's lower too it's not like it the waistline is lower mm, too mm-hmm. basically th- uh, this woman and her last name is steel miss Steele writes this book and she talks about how the corsetry of time was not just like one monolithic unchanging experience that like all unfortunate women had to experience before being liberated by feminism. The experience of wearing a garment is subjective, and this monolithic oppressive view positions women as uniformly passive and oppressed. Um, Steele shows that many arguments about corsetry being detrimental to the health of the wearer do not hold up to scrutiny, as corsets could not have caused all the health issues and illnesses some claim they do. In the case of Westwood reclaiming the corset, she wishes to retire the oppressive myth of corsetry and celebrate it as a garment of female power and liberation, as demonstrated by her naming the corset in the Harris Tweed collection, Statue of Liberty. Hmm. Um, Yeah, so, Minnie Minnie Lee also talks about how it's just a piece of underwear, and to think that you're being anti-feminist, I don't know, or... I know some people that still don't wear bras because they think it's, like, confining. I'm like, I don't – my boobs, have, like, feel better when they're in a bra. I like taking them off, too, but, like, they do feel better when they're in a bra.
0: Yeah, it's very subjective. Um, I did like when Mina Lee was talking about in one of her videos – if you haven't seen her YouTube, you should really check it out. But she talks about, like, it's so cool to work for yourself because you can take a meeting, like, while wearing a corset. And how, you know, she, she finds it to be a garment – It sounds like an empowering garment to wear
2: yeah and it's also just like it wasn't necessarily for women for men it was for women to go a day like go from day to day in a way that wasn't like their titties just hanging
0: (laughs) i mean there's definitely more comfortable ways to do it and it certainly was buying into like a body ideal
2: i mean some of the but not all the the corsets were like that i think some people think the corsets are all like that but there's like different varieties of corsets through the centuries that weren't necessarily for making the body smaller and slimming it down it was more just to like to combine all the fabric that you were wearing Mm because you also put it on top of a layer it's not like it never goes straight on the skin that's another thing you have to like whatever so there's like there's layers to understanding the history of clothing Mm -hmm. before we I don't know persecute the idea of corsets as a whole Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and I think Vivian Westwood using the corset as a piece to like talk about breaking women free or whatever kind of leads into like what I think is one of her more successful messages like she has a lot of things she li- she likes to talk about climate change like other like human rights issues and women's liberation and whatever even though she doesn't describe herself as a feminist like I think though her what message of women's liberation feels the most like sound it's like i i, I I don't find myself challenging that one very much. It's like letting women wear like whatever they want and dressing crazy. It's not very profound message or method, but it's like, yeah, like you were born in the sixties and you wanted to be like a free woman or the forties. She was born in the forties.
2: When she's, when she was freed of Malcolm, she started to read, she started to do more research and read more books. That was like away from rock and roll theory, of course, as we know, but like, this kind of corsetry was, like, showcasing her research that she was doing and reading, especially learning. She was very inspired by Italy and France. They all are. All the boomers. They are, they really are. <laughs> do not blame them. Honestly, I'm biased, though. But Italian, they do make some beautiful shit down there.
0: Yeah. The 90s, baby. I was going to say, yeah, 1990s is her first menswear yeah, collection. Yeah, that's all. Which she gets the most excellent order of the British Empire award from the queen. And then she like goes commando to accept the award. I do not care about this. Yeah. I don't know how people knew. I think she like just mentioned, oh, and I went commando.
2: No, no, no. The wind caught it.
0: Oh. And her
2: skirt goes up and her pussy is out. The world is her to gynecologist.
0: <laughs> um. Did you just think of that?
2: No, I definitely stole that from Absolutely Fabulous. She was just talking about how she was like, I can make my hymn so short that the world is your gy- gynecologist. And I was like, brilliant, perfect, never change that. It's going to be like penetrated into my brain forever now. That's good.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I guess it was captured by the, the paparazzi and people were talking about it. People were mad, but the queen thought it was funny and then they made her a dame later. So whatever.
2: I'm confused. What is the queen's sense of humor? I think it's like annoying,
0: probably, but. <laughs> but like, she doesn't she... care about nudity, apparently.
2: And doesn't she have like a bunch of quarries or something like that?
0: Oh, I don't know. I'm not like into the royal family. Good. And
2: if you were, honestly, I don't know if I'd be your friend. Really? Of course, I'd be your bestie forever, but like, if you brought up the. More than once, the what royal family. What if it was family... like
0: conspiracy theories?
2: oh you know what you're right prince andrew shit i do know about because he's a piece of shit um but do you know this is side tangent but i want to talk about prince william do you know his little kink what i mean he's a philanthropist he's sleeping around of course he's cheating on his wife right i mean like his dad did it publicly he's not not gonna do it yeah um anyways he loves to get (sighs) pegged baby nice
0: good for him
2: (laughs) and kate's like you know i don't even think i don't know anything this is all just stuff i read but i mean kate's like i'm just not into that right now go find it somewhere else
0: god it i don't even it's hard for me to even imagine what happens behind the scenes
2: okay so um like i said she can't not hire dick she has to pay for it for some reason So, Andrea's enters the picture. He is one of Vivian's students. He was tall. I mean, he is hot, especially when she starts dating. Yeah,
0: he's super hot. Like, I feel like if this is a man doing this, then we're like, oh, these poor women he's taking advantage of. Like, why can't we be like, oh, Vivian, like, taking advantage of these hot men and making them labor for her?
2: Oh, sorry. I just got an email from a person at 8 p.m. At work? What? yeah crazy well yeah but you're saying these poor women I'm saying I don't see this is the thing Leonardo DiCaprio stops dating the women at like when they age out right that's what I that's what happens usually yeah not with Vivian she puts her hooks in this guy and then he now running Vivian Westwood collection
0: yeah she likes to work with the people she's dating
2: I think there's a big – I just think there's a difference because it feels like he ended up getting
0: the most out of this
2: relationship.
0: Well, what I'm saying is that sometimes we look at men who date employees or students of theirs and we say, oh, that poor woman got taken advantage of. Right. But, like, she's doing the same thing and it's like – those girls usually
2: get tossed out and never get, like, I mean, a lot of those women are, like, hoping to get a raise or what, whatever,
0: I'm assuming. But
2: he actually got
0: that. Or they're, like, Harvey Weinstein's wife and she gets her own, like, fashion career.
2: Very true. But, like, also, you're Harvey Weinstein's
0: wife. <laughs> yeah, you lost. <laughs> um, but, okay, yeah, so, Andre, she, so she's, like, a teacher and Andreas is her student?
2: Yeah, she, he was this tall, handsome 25-year-old, uh, son of an Austrian blacksmith. His distinctive presence enhanced by an artful flirtatiousness. Artful? Hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. Is he just really good at being flirtatious? He's, like, drawing what? her pictures? He, sculpt <laughs> He's like, let me draw you like one of the French women. That's a callback from Titanic. Okay. And his intensity of his darkly shadowed eyes called to mind. Jade is falling in love with this guy. Yeah, Jesus. Dude, jealous much. She's just like, called to mind a La- laudanum-addicted 19th century German romantic
0: poet. What is a laudanum-addicted?
2: It must have been an old-school drug, obviously, because
0: it's... Laudanum is a tincture of opium containing approximately 10% powdered opium by weight. Nice. Well, his eyes
2: are so darkly shadowed, that's the reference she made. Wow. Andreas was a seducer of men. And women alike. All right. Interesting way to call someone a bisexual. (laughs) Uh, Though he preferred the former. What does the former mean? Women? I always forget latter and
0: former. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, dude. Just why don't you just say it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it sounds like he likes women more. Why does? Why do we have to specify that? I guess because we'd always be like, he's actually gay. Right. She's like, he. Men fell in love with him, and sometimes he indulged them, but he wasn't gay, guys.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And he's like, he's very into Vivian. I don't know. Like, I just like, I don't. Re- I didn't really learn a lot about the relationship, and I don't care about it. But
0: they've been together for a while, right? That they're still together. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. And she's like twenty years his senior. He's. She's in her fifties. Now she's in her eighties. Yeah, but when they meet. When they she's met. In her fifth. Okay, got it, gotcha.
2: He's twenty five years she's twenty five years older. And there's this video in nineteen ninety and a video made for her students in nineteen ninety. Which I think I really want to watch this video. I need to I would like to find it. She says, I was slightly drunk last night and I said something that might be true. The only thing that gives me an emotion thing, what I really care about is genius. Talent. Extreme talent. Anyway. I feel more upset for the genius of the past than people around me if they don't have intelligence. I do relate to this in people. It is really quite a thrill for me to be here because it really exists in this school. That genius she's talking about, that motherfucking drunk thing that she said
0: last night, was probably telling Andreas that she wanted to fuck. Oh my god, dude. That reminds me of like this one time... In undergrad, this I lived in a co-op, and we ha- like there was this girl visiting for the summer. I don't really know why, but she was my roommate. And one time we got really stoned, and she was like, "Hope I have to tell you something." I was like, "What?" She's like, "I'm a genius." Like she, it was like a <laughs> confession where she was like, "I'm just I'm not like you. I'm not like anyone else."
2: Was like, yeah, I, I was, are you okay, was this woman named? What's the woman that did the blood thing, blood drop?
0: What blood drop? Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, no, no. But this girl did. (laughs) And her name was Elizabeth Holmes. (laughs) No, but this girl did like multiple times commission my boyfriends for a threesome without asking me. She sounds not like a genius then. Yeah. It's not. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. Vivian is so dramatic. Some various things happen on the runways. Naomi Campbell falls during a show in 1993 because she's wearing these like rubber tights and then photos of her on the ground smiling become iconic in an interview for Vogue where Naomi Campbell's interviewing Vivian they're kind of like interviewing each other she says that after that show she had designers calling her and being like can you fall in my show like they wanted all the press and she's like no way Jose yep I really want to get the picture of this on one a, a shirt of mine oh yeah Kate Moss goes down the runway, topless, eating an ice cream cone, dressed like Mary Antoinette. Again, this is like one of those things where you're like, is this a political statement or are, you just, is, are we just having fun? But increasingly in the 2000s, her work becomes about climate change, her runway shows, she's out at protests for climate change. In that same interview with Naomi Campbell, she says, she's like spitting out reduce, reuse, recycle, like it's new, like she invented it, like, like to your point of her being like, I said something last night that might be true. It's like the way she talks, it's like, do you ever meet someone who everything they say they look at you like you're supposed to be amazed? That is, you just nailed it. It's such an annoying characteristic and she, it's so annoying. And she, yeah, in this interview, she's like, you know, redu- we have to reduce. We have to reuse and we have to recycle. And Naomi Campbell such a good sport. She's like repeating it back like re- pretending to like write it down. <laughs> 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 she also tells Naomi Campbell that it's important to look good if you want to make a point because people will listen to you more, which is like, yeah, seems like a big kind of like part of her, you know, philosophy.
2: Yeah, she seems super annoying, not to be like crude, but Vivian Westwood, just the way she talks. She also talks like an intellectual. Yeah, yeah. In a way that I'm like, it doesn't have to be. I don't know what, I like, ha- like halfway when she's talking, I I don't understand what she's saying. And then until the very end, I'm like, is that what she was talking about? Yeah. Or, like, I have to
0: guess. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't – she doesn't seem like a fun person to, like, go have breakfast with. She also campaigns for, like, free public transport, free museums, which had been discontinued. Um, and th- that does get reinstated, I'm if I'm correct. Free museum. Yeah. I mean, we have one here in Seattle. Does that matter? I mean, it's one. But, like, I think – um they're, they had like a whole their whole museum system is free
2: uh yes there's been a lot of research on that actually I had a conversation with a curator once and she told me all about like the science of paying versus not paying to go to a museum and do you think museums should be free
0: yeah obviously it's like <sighs> cultural resources like It's also just crazy that like half of the stuff in museums doesn't even belong to them anyway. So like, yeah,
2: it's like stolen. You got it for free. So like, let me come
0: look at it. (laughs) it. And like, I mean, it seems like not that much. It shouldn't cost it. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Museums should be free. Um, She does campaigns with various important organizations about environmental issues, climate change, civil liberties, human rights, nuclear disarmament. She's a big supporter of the Green Party of England and Wales. Her political entanglements are about terrorism, democracy, and propaganda. And she wrote a manifesto called Active Resistance to Propaganda. But she isn't necessarily known for being, like, super humane to her own workers. And that's something that we find
2: out from Emily. I mean, I did a little bit of research, but Emily beat us to the punch. Um, we can make an assumption that she's just not going, if, if you are established like that and producing that much clothes and having a runway, I'm just going to assume that you're probably not pro labor, right?
0: Yeah. In that interview with Naomi Campbell, when they were recounting the fall, she was like, you know, I wasn't paying you much at the time. And they kind of had a laugh about it. And I think to some degree, people did believe in her work, but, I think she probably also, I think, you know, a lot of people in those roles really take advantage of people to, like, do free labor for them. Just
2: because of the cool factor. And that's what's the thing. Like, just because you, like, if people will do anything for their passion and that's really annoying, so stop having passions. But, um too, it's like, if it's a cool thing, too, I think people really fall for the cool factor and think, but cool, cool factor doesn't get you a vacation. Mm-mm.
0: No, it doesn't pay the medical bills either, but... I know. Um, Get a
2: stupid
0: job. So we, we wanted to chat with Emily Stokel. We had been talking about doing a collaboration. And we decided to do an episode where we all talk about Vivian Westwood. So next we're going to be joined with Emily. And we're going to chat a little bit more about Vivian's activism and activism in fashion. I wanted to say that Vivian Westwood also did a collection called Savages, which was, like, <gasps> about Native Americans. And she just has a lot of, like, really... I mean... Witches was based off voodoo. Yeah, just a, yeah. Like, and she stands by a lot of it today. Like, she doesn't, she's not really trying to. I mean, it's like, it's hard to judge the past by today's standards. Like, we only exist today because of, like, The groundwork laid by other people, like, we're just a product of our generation. I didn't, like, create being woke by any means. But it is, looking back, you're like, ooh, you know.
2: But, like, there is a thing about being held accountable and then listening to those that are holding you accountable. But she does
0: not. She doesn't really. She says, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I'm excited to, see, to hear what Emily has to say. Yeah, I wonder what she's going to say. Yeah, we didn't record this in the past at all. <laughs> well, we're now joined by Emily Stokel. Really excited to have you on the podcast. I've been a listener of your podcast for a while, so it's really fun to get to chat with you. Emily has a podcast called Pre-Love Podcast, also a writer and a vintage seller, and basically working to make fashion a more sustainable place. That's kind of how I understand your body. You report. summed it up well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just because, you know, we are bimbos, we have to ask your zodiac sign. But, you know, if, if it's an Enneagram or a Myers-Briggs or whatever sorting mechanism
1: you resonate with. Sure. I get it. I love it all. So I'm here for it. Okay. So if you want my full reading, I'm a Cancer Sun, Moon and Aries, Pisces Rising. And then you have to also know that my husband's also a Cancer. So there is, like, a lot of water signs in this house. But I'm also – it kind of balances it out. I'm an Enneagram 3, which is, like, a very through-and-through workaholic. Yep. Mm -hmm. And ENFP. So, like, empathy, diplomacy, idealism. And I feel like that's the activist in me a bit of
0: it. That's my – that's mine too. They call us the campaigner. Always like going on about something. Always got something to promote. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know
1: if I think of
0: cancers as being workaholics. I know. But I don't know that I know a lot about cancers. No, I feel
1: like the Enneagram and the... People always say they're really surprised to hear I'm a cancer. But when they do my full reading, they say it makes sense. Like when you balance it out with everything else. Yeah.
2: Your wait you said Virgo moon
1: no a moon in Aries Pisces rising so yeah
0: we're really earthy over here I'm a Virgo sun Libra moon what's my rising again Sagittarius and then Jackie what do I know yours your Capricorn sun Leo rising I can't remember your moon pisces
2: moon i'm impressed though hope Thank i'm you. impressed wait where's your sag because i know you you had a sag you said an, is it a rising rising yeah yeah okay
1: um <laughs> anyways <laughs> a whole other podcast episode right there just do our readings i know
0: yeah just all, all about us <laughs> <laughs> well when we talked about doing an episode together we threw out a few topic ideas and you chose vivian westwood what made you want to talk about Vivian Westwood? Yeah,
1: so even though I do all this work in the fashion space, I don't have a traditional fashion background at all. I basically came to fashion via the activism work, like be via the campaigning stuff, and I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on. But it's interesting because like a lot of the people that I work alongside with have more of more of a fashion background or they went to school for this or they've studied this kind of stuff and so lately I've been trying to read up a bit more on fashion history and like biographies and learn more about the industry because I'm a huge nerd with a liberal arts degree so I love to know like the history behind everything and so Vivian Westwood has definitely been on my list because I feel like of course she's an iconic designer and so to flesh out like my fashion Knowledge. I wanted to get to know her more, but then everyone always talks about the politics of her work. So I thought that would tie really well to my interests. And so then when you toss that out, I was like, okay, cool. Like what a perfect ex- excuse to do that deep dive um, and check out her biography that I read. Yeah. You see, you do
0: a lot of reading from what I see on your Instagram. Big reader. Yeah. Big reader. Yeah. Do, do you do that instead of watching TV or do you just, are you just the kind of woman who does it all?
1: I love to watch a couple episodes of TV each night. Like, I don't really, I'm not a read-before-bed person. To me, I want to go, like, sit out in the hammock and read a book for, like, a leisurely afternoon. Um, that's how I enjoy to read. But, like, I do I do watch TV. I watch TV. I listen to the podcast. I read books. Like, I'm one of those people probably more accurately that it's just, like, the inputs are coming in all the yeah. time. <laughs>
0: That's how I feel.
2: Yeah. I was literally watching TikToks while watching TV. Yesterday. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's scary. Yes. <laughs> Why is my brain? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't we're, know. it's too late to save us. We might as well lean in.
2: <laughs> yeah, if I could have had somebody yelling at me or like telling me a story, I would have. I would have done it all. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: uh- <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like I, this is a, a kind of an aside, but like before all of this, I worked in the publishing industry. So that's where all the book stuff comes into play. And yeah, I still, of course, like love reading. That's like, I would say my biggest hobby that is separate from the work that I do, which is really nice to have.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask you if you knew a YouTube, uh, she's also got a background, a YouTuber name. But never mind. I can't remember her name. Her name is like Leanne, but we're going to move on. That's a... Oh,
1: I do. I do. Um, Lena Norms. Yes. Do you... Because she does, she also does like kind of fashion, like um, yeah. climate type. Oh, yeah, totally. I um subscribe to her Patreon. She's great. She is great. Yeah.
2: She, yeah. And she's a big reader and she also comes from the publishing industry as well, too. So yeah. she talks a little bit about that.
0: Totally. Always great to subscribe to people's Patreons. Jackie and I don't have one yet, but, you know, just spreading the word now. (laughs) That's my love language. I know you have one, Emily. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's so important to support those creators out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It makes me feel good when I pay for people's work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: speaking of just, like, having tons of inputs coming into our brain, there's been a conversation online lately about aesthetic movements Mm. and how people or at least one writer, Terry Nguyen, who wrote for um, this article for, was describing his aesthetic movements as now being devoid of political meaning, Mm -hmm. uh, political meaning, sorry. Whereas movements like the punk scene, which is one that Vivian Westwood was involved in, had both an aesthetic and a deeper meaning. Um, Do you think aesthetics are an important part of causes?
1: You know, it's interesting because, like, I would say yes. I mean, throughout history, the way we dress has been a significant part of a ton of political movements. Like, I don't know, I've read about the history of the miniskirt. Do you think about like a lot of the fashion related to the women's liberation movement and or like the Black Panther movement, like fashion has always been because it's an indicator of who we are and the, what we want to put out in the world. And a lot of times that can stand in to like speak for our values in a way. I think what's interesting from reading that big biography that I read about Vivian Westwood is like I got into maybe a little bit more about like what her politics actually were and if that was I don't know if it was more of an aesthetic sense than it was actual political action Um, but yes I do think in general like the way we dress can say a lot about the causes that we stand for.
0: Yeah, it was interesting in the biography, which big is a great word to describe it, that thing is thick. But yeah, her and Malcolm McLaren, they kind of just jumped from aesthetic to aesthetic. They're like, oh, we're done with the Teddy Boys now, we want to be punk, oh, we're done with punk, we want to be this, and it really did feel like them just kind of like trying things on and not necessarily... I don't know. Like, it felt a little superficial to me at times. Yeah, I think
1: that's definitely what the writer of that biography was trying to say, which I thought was so interesting that it was an an unauthorized biography. So,
2: like, yeah.
1: that she, but that she had actually asked that writer earlier on to publish a biography about her, and then pulled that ask back. Like, I thought that was so fascinating. Like, reading it through that lens of she wanted it done and then she was like oh maybe i don't want this out in the world and pulled it back but anyway author went forward with it so like you have to read the information that's in there with that idea that like it wasn't endorsed by westwood but i don't know yeah there's a lot like you said about the, the switching from various aesthetics to various aesthetics throughout the book of course like we know her um for punk most of all but she did so much more um and, I think that the author is like really kind of telling us that she doesn't think that there was much depth beyond the visuals. Yes,
2: yes. She she was just like she wasn't really for the cause of yeah.
1: Punk scene. But I mean,
2: I felt author, like that's what mean? the author was mm-hmm. saying.
1: Yeah, that there wasn't like much depth beyond just the visuals.
2: The author was kind of coming after her, and I was here for it. <laughs>
0: she was – and coming after Malcolm yes. so hard. Like, she would be like – and Malcolm said this, but you can't trust him. You can't
1: trust Malcolm. That's the thing, and, like, I I did appre- – like, I appreciate – like, you know, I read this, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is make me – You know, not really like Vivian Westwood very much. But I also understand, like, I appreciate, you know, imagining people complexly. And so just like thinking about what she went through, also too, which doesn't excuse any of it, but just like thinking about her working class upbringing and being a divorced single mom in the 60s and then partnered with this emotionally abusive guy. Like, it's really obvious even like that doesn't excuse you to do awful things but it's really obvious like where some of that behavior came from. and also where her anger is I mean I feel like yeah you know feminine rage is a thing yeah yeah and, and like it's it's not an excuse especially for how she treated like the other women in the punk scene right. or the other women who worked for her um, it's not an excuse for that at all but you can understand like in that time period I've I, I think I wrote down in my notes it feels like she has very not like other girls internalized patriarchy energy because yeah, some pick, yes pick because bad. like she has these you know she is one of the the only women who is like in the high fashion scene at this time like making these big also making these like quote-unquote political stances like she what she was doing was unique and so I think like she just felt she constantly had to assert that and the unfortunate reality is like what happens a lot is that she felt like she had to put other women down in order to be the one to succeed at the top and like rival with these other female leaders of punk or the the people that she employed the women that she employed
2: yeah i i don't know how much like lack of depth there really is though because i feel like she does so so much research i mean i guess for the activism part of it the aspect um she does so much research for each of her designs when she's not like the writer said when she's not distracted by a boyfriend um but it's like i she did the course she brought back the corset and i feel like that's a symbol of something i mean on some I think level so.
1: i think she and i'm not saying this is a bad thing but i think she does all that research and uh the themes and everything that she pulls out she does a really good job at it but I think she's interested in like the art rather than the politics which is I mean it's totally a valid thing and it happens all you know there's so many people that view art that way but like the author talks about, you know, asking her what's her proudest moment throughout her career. And she talks about how having her clothes in the VNA Museum is like such a high artistic honor. And her ultimate goal is to make fashion that's pure and beautiful and interesting art. And it's like, that's not like that that's her goal her goal is to make these beautiful pieces and I think for her to understand the context of the beauty she like wants to know the background and the history and all of that but I don't know yeah I don't know how much or at least like what we we're getting through like what this writer gives us I don't know how much of it has the political message behind it and how much like of that political message we've come to associate with her has been like Part of the myth making of her, right? Wait, so the VMA, you said the VMA museum, is that the VNA? Vic- the, the yeah, the Victoria, Victoria Albert. Albert, yeah.
2: And like Victoria and Albert Museum, for those that may or may not know, I it's you know named after the Queen and King <laughs> of England, right, of the Victorian times. But also like I think they have a lot of stolen items in that museum. I mean like like every museum, but like his, I think yeah. Victoria and, and they're like known and documented to be like you know some of the worst colonizers and stillers and putting them in their museums as well so
1: yeah and the author talks about that like how I mean I I think the author of the biography straight out uh, like accuses her of being elitist because she talks about how she's fine and good to have whatever value she has but Again, until she finds herself at the top and then she gets frustrated with the youth movement. She no longer wants to associate with folks. She wants that like high artistic honor that really seems to kind of stand in contrast with like what we think of the politics of punk as being. Yeah.
2: And that's the thing. Like I think people forget, like if you're famous on that level of famous like she is, you don't get there by being a good person. There's no, like, (laughs) yeah, you know, there's no, like, nice way of being on top. There's no kind way of just, like, managing all that. And you kind of talked about it before when we had touched base about this, about how she, like, um, committed, like, wage theft.
1: Yeah, there's several periods through her book, which, of course, like – I mean, the fashion activism work that I do is around labor activism and around wage theft. So it was just wild to me reading um, all this documentation, both pre and post the McLaren business partnership era of her career, where she was guilty of not paying staff, expecting retail workers to work six day weeks, saying things like they should work for the love of it um her employees so like even though Westwood wasn't interviewed for this book they did interview several of her employees I think including Jordan who was like her longtime manager and the highest ranking other woman to work for her and they said you know she had no no sympathy for employees taking sick days she didn't pay her bills on time you know which uh, pay up movement. You know, this is far too common of a theme within the fashion industry, but she also, it extended beyond her retail workers too. She expected her fabric suppliers, trimmers, factories to bankroll her all the time and would say things like, well, they're lucky to work with me. And it's just that mentality, again, like that's not an isolated mentality within the fashion and particularly high fashion we think of that as being a fast fashion thing but it's it's not it's all across big fashion yeah and she's totally guilty well, of that well that's
2: just among classism too because mm-hmm. i mean that's what charity is supposed to be like yeah. in the sense that people are like you should be grateful like my friend was on a scholarship at a really nice private school because she's low income and she like talked back to a teacher mm-hmm. and the principal mm-hmm. was like you should be grateful for even being mm-hmm. here and it's like, yeah, it's just it's just the rhetoric of being, a part yeah. of uh, actively trying to climb, uh, yeah, uh, the classist, you know,
0: ladder. Yeah, it's interesting when we like it's o- almost in a way like we're 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 examining her in this way because she has painted herself as an activist, and so we're like, we're kind of like, but is she moral? Are mm-hmm. her politics g- good? You know what I mean? It's like. She, she
1: opens herself up to being like criticized in this way for her politics and her morals.
0: Well, and it's like I feel like we we hope. I guess I just I get excited when I hear about someone, anyone really, that has like, um, like something to say with their art and and you know whatnot. And then you, it's disappointing when they don't align with you a hundred percent. And it's like you know she she never claimed to be a labor activist and it's interesting her coming from a working class background but it kind of feels like or at least the biographer Jane Mulvag or however you say Mulva I don't know um described her as kind of always feeling not at home in her working class community like she wanted to read she wanted to like pursue these arts and she never really felt like she was of that background um so it's like yeah she's she's definitely not A labor rights activist she's like and i i feel kind of wary of people who are first and foremost climate activists because i feel like not there's nothing wrong with it but for some reason i feel like it often comes with ignoring the human Mm, like she doesn't
1: see the intersectionality of exactly justice piece um yeah i mean that's super common of of course um people not understanding that climate is people and planet and that you know climate is a human rights issue um I could definitely see her having that viewpoint because you know you're right she she doesn't talk about labor um she specifically says she's not a feminist so we already kind of criticized her her politics around feminism she like comes out and says she's not a feminist which can be unpacked uh in so many ways but She's she says yeah. she's a climate activist and you know I I think especially a lot of the quotes that I saw about that were coming out like in the late 2010s so like 2018 was when she made that big statement that her climate activism work is more important to her than her fashion work and that's a refreshing point of view but what beyond again the statement making what is she actually doing um because if you actually look into again the real climate and labor practices which I feel like you can't make statements about climate disconnected from the labor practices there's no real proof that that action is there for the brand it's just statements
0: yeah it's yeah and we talk about degrowth as being kind of like the only way that brands can actually take a stance on sustainability? Um, or maybe maybe saying the only way is not... Um...
2: Well, the word sustainability, I'm also iffy. If anybody uses it on, a, especially on a fashion brand, but any corporation that uses sustainability as a word, it's just... I'm like, you have to define sustainability first. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The organization that I work for, Remake, we have our fashion accountability report, which is like one of the most in-depth looks at fashion brands, both labor practices, climate practices, DEI, how this all like overlaps because it is also linked together. And Yeah, basically, like, when you come down to it, other than the statements made, the brand fails when you run it through accountability reports and you're looking at, like, real metrics. What has been achieved by the brand? You can make a lot of statements, but what has been achieved?
2: Yeah, and it's just kind of disappointing because she looks so cool (laughs) and you want her to be on our side, you know?
1: (laughs) Hey, and, and maybe in a different time of life right again like I go back to like the upbringing that she came up in like it doesn't excuse it but like maybe in a different generation um, Vivian Westwood like maybe not controlled by McLaren for so much of her life like maybe she turns out totally different who knows
2: yeah, that's true. Because I without my like background and going to college and getting my masters and having TikTok, all those things have right. made me equally
0: do- equally influential. Right. Equally. I would say
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would probably be a very similar pick me type. I don't I know. Mean, like, yeah, like sense-
1: so you know, I mean I think that could be said of so many of us. Like you can only know what the environment around you like makes available to you. And so it's no, ex- it's not an ex- to excuse her behavior, but, you know, you do understand the world that she came up in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we just finished a series on Anna Wintour, and it's been kind of funny going from her to Vivian Westwood because they both were born in England and grew up in the 60s there and ended up in the fashion world, so it's been kind of funny to see. Like, it really makes me appreciate Vivian Westwood for the weirdness yes. of her aesthetic yeah. and her designs because that in and of itself, it just makes... At least makes the runways a better place.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Like Anna Wintour and her very similar and personality wise of
1: like just kind of CEO mindset. Having to be that high achieving woman that you're like going to be the only one and it's going to be cutthroat. Yeah,
2: exactly. But like aesthetically, you're just like, (laughs) what, what? Yeah, obviously Vivian Westwood. But yeah, and Anna Wintour, so much floral. I have so many comments on her <laughs> outfits, but that's not what we're here for.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and so Emily, you for your podcast, you interview people in the secondhand fashion world, and I'm curious if you think that like people right now who are wearing secondhand, opening vintage stores, like is that a political act? Is, like, do you think people are taking a political stance by wearing secondhand?
1: Yeah. You know, I used to kind of have this point of view, like I used to say, like, shopping secondhand could save the world. And I've kind of learned to refrain from saying that because now I don't believe anymore that shopping one way or another way is really like life changing action. Um, But I do believe that the secondhand ecosystem has a lot of power to like change the way the fashion system operates like I do think that there is a lot of potential there I also think that people are more more like when we talked about the aesthetics of movements and how you can use the way you dress and how you present yourself to make up like to present a message to the world I think people choosing secondhand have the ability to do that with what they dress how they dress but yeah I mean when you when you get into it I do think there's systemic action that's possible from within the secondhand fashion ecosystem like I think the secondhand fashion ecosystem has the ability to address economic disadvantage, clothing waste, wage theft, clothing overproduction. It's not doing those things. <laughs> work needs to be uh, to be done to make it as powerful as it can be, but I think that it does have the ability to address those issues. And so that's now how I try to focus my work is like explain those issues to people um, instead of boiling down all of the actions that are available to us to be like shopping one way or shopping another way
2: yeah is that in the same vein of basically i don't know i hold the belief that consumers aren't the problem so it's like the only really solution is for corporations to be held accountable i guess consumers can be hold uh, con- uh corporations accountable but it's super <laughs> hard to do that in that sense but um as a consumer I'm just kind of like I can't win
1: yeah I never try to place blame on the individual person because the individual person doesn't have the most power in the system so it's so much more worthwhile to put the emphasis on the people who have the most power I think that's how we get the most done I think individuals have some power like individuals as a collective you know that's a whole that's a whole nother thing but I do think that individuals banded together have power but I never like to put blame on one specific person and especially not like I especially don't I think there's a big difference right between like someone I don't know like how you shop or not versus like whether or not you you like do anything or not like there's ways that you can contribute that go beyond your shopping habits and I think so many times when we talk about these issues it all gets boiled down to like the first thing that you have to do is shop this way and there's so many other first things that you can do that are actions and for what you know for whatever reason just because we're so used to tying everything in our society to buying we don't Think of that as action. Yeah. Can you can you name some so the listener can be like, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first, if people are like, I want to m- make a difference, like the first thing that I always tell people to do is find a collective action group that you can be a part of. So like I do my fashion activism through Remake, um, you know, climate activism. If you want to get involved in your Sunrise Movement organization, if you want to find local mutual aid groups, even if it's just like a really small local group, like find a community of people to do collective action with, because I feel like that's the first step. Um, because it motivates you, you're not alone, and you're more effective because you're not alone. But yeah, I mean, actions can be anything. Actions can be petitioning, voting, protesting, um, calling, text banking, door knocking, campaigning, letter writing um it can be literally like talking to your family members about issues like being the bold person who has that conversation with someone in their life who's not going to hear it from tiktok or their university degree or whatever like being that person in somebody's life like there's so many other actions you can take um that don't have to do anything with how you spend money yeah i
0: yeah i totally agree and i also think that like it is like because our lives involve so much purchasing like there is some like effect you can have i mean like you look at like reports that marketing agencies put out every year where like they're paying attention they're paying Mm -hmm. so much attention to how people spend their money like even seeing like Brands now trying to do secondhand yeah. because they see everyone buying secondhand. You know what I mean? It's like – Well, the reselling
2: uh, at WGSN is like a whole trendsetter forecaster that people pay big money for to, to watch. And then those companies – I don't know how this works, but, like, yeah, those companies reproduce whatever the trend forecaster set, sets out. So there is a lot of money involved in, like, how people are purchasing. I mean, like, just because ca- capitalism <laughs> – just because of right. – uh, I always feel like I get to that point where I'm like, Capitalism is like the the last thing that I I'm like we got there we got to say the word <laughs> capitalism.
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean we made it like a full 45
1: minutes.
0: We're just like dancing around it. We're like yeah. you know that system. We're a <laughs> part I of. I mean yeah. yeah,
1: it's it's all the interlocking systems of oppression. But like the I think that your shopping habits can sometimes be that first mental reset. I think that can be one way to think about it. You know, sometimes uh, that's the first like habit breaking thing that someone needs to do in order to switch to, you know, living a greener, more sustainable, whatever language you want to use, more politically active lifestyle.
0: Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting in the biography is when they were talking about the retro movement of the 60s and how like people back then were already having nostalgia and like wanting to dress secondhand like there was that whole thing where Vivian and Malcolm were selling vintage Teddy Boy was it te- uh, like the uh, yeah and just like I don't know why I thought that that was something that our generation had made up but it's like people uh, have, are well, you doing to me, that?
2: I was like the. I mean, I was like vintage is the '60s. So I was like, they couldn't come up with vintage because <laughs> the '60s were are old. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what was their vintage? Like, and that they were.
0: It was literally like the. It was like ten years before. I think in this case, they were like, oof. I think we nailed it. Let's just not change.
1: Nostalgia has always existed in fashion. Like people are always nostalgic for different eras and. Yeah, it reminds me of like how now we're seeing the Y2K stuff and people are like, oh, people are nostalgic for a simpler time or whatever, you know. Um, it's just, it's so similar throughout the years.
2: Yeah, and we think that it isn't. <laughs> but it is. I mean, we're still having trends and stuff. We've we talked about this before about like how trends have been different because of TikTok. Um, and how they, they transformed kind of more of like a Pinterest board aesthetic versus actually reactionary. Cause I feel like, um, but the Y2K is so nostalgic of, but why are we nostalgic for Y2K? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah.
1: no, always just nostalgic for something.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just nostalgic for something. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you say the Pinterest board aesthetic, you're talking, what I hear from that is like, rather than looking around and kind of mimicking what people are wearing around them. People are curating their aesthetic based on things they see online. Yeah. Like cottage core as an example.
2: Yes. Um but yeah, so we were also going to ask you about your fabric act.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So um I guess taking it into that space of making systemic change right so like how do you actually change these broken systems so i've mentioned a few times that i work for a fashion advocacy organization called remake i do community organizing work for them which is another way that you can take action like organizing um getting people together like supporting movements is really important a lot of that behind the scenes stuff that people don't um see like really powers movements um but remake is part of a coalition of campaigners calling for a federal fabric act here in the u.s and this would be like a very it would be a very groundbreaking um if passed into law a very groundbreaking federal law that would revolutionize how garment makers are paid for their work. It's based off of a successful campaign and now law in the state of California called the Garment Worker Protection Act that maybe folks are familiar with. It passed into law last October. And um, the the Garment Worker Protection Act did a couple of things. It eliminated piece rate pay within the garment industry. So um, even here in the United States, Workers sewing our clothing are often paid uh, below the minimum wage. I think we think that that can't happen here, but it happens all the time garment workers previously were often paid by the piece. So they'd be paid by the t-shirt sewed or the jean sewed rather than paid by the hour. And that resulted in them making closer to $5 an hour or sometimes as little as $2 an hour in the state of California where the minimum wage was $15 an hour. And so the Garment Worker Protection Act going into law in October eliminated piece rate pay. So it's now illegal to pay that way. And they are guaranteed at least the state minimum wage which is just it tr- incredibly transformative for thousands of garment workers in the state of california is this a federal law so this is the the garment worker protection act is a state law so it's in calif okay. it's in california it passed in the law in october but then the fabric act w- is inspired by the garment worker protection okay. act so that That bill basically set the precedent for federal legislators to say, we need to pass something like this on a federal level. Um, The other big thing that it did, so it eliminated piece right pay. And then the other big thing that it did, the industry term for this is joint liability. But basically what this means is a lot of times within the fashion industry, whenever there's an issue, whether it's a safety issue or a wage theft issue, the fashion brands will say like, oh those workers aren't our workers. Those are subcontracted out to us from XYZ factory. Like, they're not employed by us. But what joint liability does is increases the the accountability and the liability on the brands and the retailers because they're the ones with the money and the power in the situation. And so they can be held accountable if there are workplace safety violations or wage violations. So those are two, like... Like, absolutely cannot be understated how groundbreaking that piece of legislation was going into law in California. It inspired legislators to turn it into a federal law. So that's the Fabric Act, which is the the federal version essentially of the Garment Worker Protection Act. And it was just introduced to the House on July 21st, which is very exciting. Wow. Just introduced to the House. So like we still have a long bill becomes a law road ahead of us, but it is just introduced into the House. And so it has all those same things that the Garment Worker Protection Act does. It would Um, eliminate piece rate pay, uh, uh, on a federal level, joint liability, um, It would also have like reshoring tax credits to bring good garment making jobs to the states, grant programs to kind of support the sustainable fashion industry. So like incentivize the good actors instead of just de-incentivizing the bad actors. So it's really incredible. And if people want to uh, get involved with action that's like making a real difference within the fashion industry, you can check out fabricact.org. Let me just make sure it's fabricact.org and not .com. Yeah, the fabricact.org. To follow along, there's a petition on the site now. And if you sign the petition, that is the easiest way to stay informed because you know, as the bill moves through the process, there's sure to be campaigning efforts, things you can do, legislators to call, postcards to send, um, but that's the best way to stay informed on the the bill's progress. That's really exciting. That's super awesome. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's so huge, and it's like something like th- this uh could transform the fashion industry because it's not just relying on one single brand to like choose to behave properly right like it's making it law that they have to protect their workers at you know um
2: one of my favorite designers colina strada has spoken out about how there's just lack of regulating in the fashion world and how like everybody's doing their own thing and that's part of the problem it's just like yeah so this would kind of unite um a lot of the fashion industry and to start being at least watching them of what we're doing and yeah
1: A lot of the sustainable fashion brands um, were brand endorsers of Garment Worker Protection Act and now of the Fabric Act because it makes the playing field a little bit more fair, right? Like those – the people doing the right thing and paying their workers are up against these giants that just Mm -hmm. like get away with this stuff and it doesn't – you know, it – Just imagine, like, how different the fashion industry could be if um, the sustainable actors were supported, like, if it was incentivized through grant programs, if, you know, the U.S., like, if California or New York became, like, a hub for sustainable fashion production, like, that could be incredibly transformative for the good actors as well that would be amazing we're coming for you vivian westwood
2: <laughs> Slowly but surely
1: yeah vivian where's your endorsement of the fabric act <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so
2: yeah she's like i'm in britain i don't care <laughs> Right.
0: <laughs> this shows a bit of my ignorance but like it, people so like high fashion brands let's say like america let's just talk american designers american like runway is that my assumption was that it was mostly produced
1: overseas. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but there are people that produce in the U.S. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and I L.A. Mean, is a hub.
1: Oh, yeah. And you're asking about like the joint liability issue. Like, how is that enforced when the workers are in the United States?
0: Yeah, would that apply to a brand? Would that only apply to production done in the U.S.?
1: Like, basically the. Joint liability is kind of like having the joint liability protections passed. um, That is closing the gap between like who can be held accountable for this for, for that for violations like workplace violations within the industry. So I guess. I don't know enough to say, like, how it would actually be acted on in practice, but the idea is that, um, you know, it would hopefully protect workers at all levels throughout the supply chain, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, Um, early on, one of our first episodes, we talked about how Biden was being pressured to appoint a fashion czar and how, and how, like, fashion is just this realm of production that doesn't get as much attention somehow sometimes oh
1: hello (laughs) hi a cat visitor yeah, the Fabric Act, they don't call it a fashion czar because we were part of that campaigning, too. its They don't call it a czar, but it sort of has, like, a an, a high-level appointment position would be part of that oh, policy. Cool. because some Because, you know, somebody to coordinate all of those grant programs and what the tax credits and stuff would look like, like, it would appoint a high-level official, which is essentially what a czar is. Um, yeah, it...
2: It's just a disappointing name, you know?
1: Right.
0: Right. (laughs) Which one's the disappointing name?
2: The czar part. You're just like, (laughs) isn't that a Russian leader? Like, I don't know. It's kind of coming. It's coming off as dictator.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like we have, you know, the Department of Agriculture, various departments in our government, and like people look at food and they're like, oh, well, it's like such an important system that we need to regulate. And at this point it's like we're also spending so many resources on clothing. Whether or not we should be yes. we are. Yeah. So we really just someone someone needs to be.
1: It's a huge at industry. It. It's jobs, it's money being made, it's international trade. It's you know, it absolutely should be, you know, have a really high level appointment. So I
2: have suspicions of why it's not been so regulated and why things haven't been really focused in on how like the fashion world has impacted, I mean, the climate in some capacities and like, but what are your like understanding of why we're not paying so much attention to the fashion industry as a big producer of like uh, greenhouse gases, like all the stuff, like labor rights, like just all the issues.
1: I think one of the big issues, um, with the fashion industry is we have been so slow to address the labor piece of the puzzle. Like, if I think of you know, I, I've been in this space for 10, 15 years. And when I think back to how brands and how consumers were talking about climate and sustainability, it really has changed a lot. Like even in just terms of awareness or brands, even if a lot of what the brands are doing is greenwashing, they're still mm-hmm. like trying to go down the route of sustainability. But like we're still not having the labor conversation at all and I think a huge reason for that is because brands are in some ways they're they're more ready to pursue like sustainability actions because a lot of times they can do that in ways that bring about efficiencies and thus make the brands more money so they can continue to produce as much and sell as much and profit Mm. as much um but they don't see they don't see the math of how they can uh pay living wages and still profit Or they do, they just ignore it. Or they just ignore it. Like, I'm not saying the math doesn't exist, but brands would have to produce less to pay living wages, and they should. Like, that is what the equation should look like, but that, I think, is why brands are hesitant to look at that side of the conversation. And I think here in the United States, they haven't had to have that conversation because up until very recently, like, I feel like now we are... Within the last few years, we have started to enter a new labor movement. But up until very recently, brands and companies were not having to address that because that wasn't what the political climate of our country was. People weren't pushing for uh they weren't talking about labor regulations and fair wages and right. unions um and and now i think we're starting to get that direction which is incredible but i think yeah i think part of the reason why it's lagged so far behind is we just like weren't we weren't pushing uh the big actors to have those conversations and they they were not willing to go there yeah i um, a part of me though wonders if it's because like as a nation
2: we're just like oh it's a feminine
1: Mm. It's yeah a i think it thing. certainly contributes i think it certainly contributes so yeah. why it's
2: not as valued in the yeah. world of like agriculture or gas um but it is it's it's very much actually valued it's a very big producer but big also
0: we were and america was a little bit later getting into the game of fashion as well that too but also
2: like you hear these horror stories of labor rights issues like We were reading Anna Wintour and they just talked about like basically being assaulted consistently as a copywriter and stuff like that where you're just like – and it's being thrown off as like that's the fashion world. And it's kind of interesting how the fashion world has just gotten the rep of being horrific yet that's just part of it and you accept it because you love it. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like very – I'm glad that we're turning this corner because it's just been for so long – horrible to people well, yeah, and i like, don't understand why yeah
0: i well, people it's like the idea that people want to be in these artistic fields and so you can kind of just treat them however because again they're lucky to be there
1: they're lucky to be there or whatever yeah
0: yeah you're mingling with the rich people so you better yeah. be lucky
2: but it's just kind of interesting in the sense that it's not that fashion hasn't had like been known as a good gu- good guy You know, like it's been known to be horrible, but we just were like, that's just how fashion is. Right. You know, it's just the
0: industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting to have these conversations with people who love fashion. I feel like it's exciting that that's who's leading the movement are people like you who like you do love to express yourself through fashion. And like, it's not that you think it's, you know, it's not that you think that we should all dress in burlap sacks yes <laughs> like you know it's like I don't know I I feel like even though I have so many critiques of Vivian Westwood I did come away from this research being inspired and feeling like a lot of what she did aesthetically you know like I mean her personal style today it's just
1: her it's you appreciate her art yeah and right. I I I think that I love fashion and I think fashion can be beautiful and joyful and artistic and I believe in all of that existing. I don't want to get rid of the fashion industry. I think that fashion can also be like a powerful force for good though. Yeah. I think about how much money is made in the fashion industry and how many people it employs and I want to see it uh, functioning in a way that empowers people and allows people to create beautiful art and supports communities and you know pays families a livable salary and, and can that's be. the idealist in me but yeah but yeah. that's like the fashion that's the fashion vision I see and obviously yeah. that's so totally broken but that's the fashion world that I'm pushing for
2: I mean I feel like Emily that you're right on the money I don't see why it's not like that that's why I get confused when I'm like with labor rights issues, with any of it, because I'm just like, we could have a, you could still make beautiful things, even better things, if you just, like, gave people the opportunity to live well. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's just so much opportunity there.
0: Yeah. Right, and it's like, it's hard to be an artist. You know, it's hard for artists to make money. A lot of them, you know, I feel like tattoo artists are, it's like the most lucrative thing you can do as an artist, but it's like, it's cool to me that people can make things that are so beautiful, and then also can be on someone's body and go with them through their day it's like it's an art that people can make that's like not like practical but that can it's not just something that you put on your wall it's
2: it was well, an extension of like your own body in that way and that's why you can you can wearable art is it's fun um and
1: fashions that way too
2: yes exactly it's an extension of beauty i don't know <laughs> extension of the space that you're living yeah. in <laughs> Yeah. What were your opinions, your takeaways of the biography itself, real quick?
1: I, I, like, loved reading it, even though it was a really big book. I felt like it gave me what I wanted to get in terms of, like, fashion history, big moments that were happening. And, like, even though I hate it, I also do live for a little drama. And so some of the drama of the fashion industry, just like, I don't know, the horrible infighting that happens in the industry between the designers and things like that. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, it made me like really, the take, when when I was going into it, expecting to read about like activism and fashion as a political um, act, like, it disappointed me to find out that that was not as rich as maybe I had been led to to believe it was, um, but it was still, I'm really glad that I learned about it. Um, so yeah, big book, yeah. but worth reading, I thought. Yeah, it's
0: like reality TV, but with so much more investment on your yes. end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it was so wonderful
0: to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, Emily. Um, for those listening, definitely check out Preloved
2: Pod. Do you want to do a shout-out to anything, Emily?
1: Oh gosh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, check out pre Podcast. I have new episodes out every single Monday. Yeah. All right, do you have an Instagram account or anything that you TikTok? Yeah, you can find me across the internet as at Emily M. Stokel, which is just how my name is spelled. Um pre Podcast on all the major pod streamers um what else can i say oh i'm going on tour so if you're in minneapolis or st louis come out and see me on tour um oh, cool. and follow along for more to come yeah
0: awesome great. well thank you so much for joining <laughs> us it was a fun conversation thanks for
1: having me have a great rest of your night bye, bye. bye.